All right. I am now joined by one of uh, one of my favorite um, writers of uh, politically engaged left wing intellectual work at a popular level in uh, uh, North America right now. Uh, I think uh, I think without exaggeration, uh, Matt McManus, who just uh, who just wrote a article for uh, Common Wheel magazine called uh, called the Dark Elf. So, so Matt, how how are you doing, and uh, and and why are you writing about dark elves? Uh, well, I've lost a little bit. I'll tell you that much. Uh, anybody who reads a lot of Curtis Yarvin's writing feels that they've been robbed of something, uh, time at the very minimum. Uh, and the Dark Elf reference comes from a piece he wrote recently uh, where he said he was a little bit bored with the usual culture wars coding, which to be fair, I actually sympathize with. So he said, rather than get red-pilled, we're going to get Tolkien-pilled now. Uh, and he creates a new political philosophy uh, with three fundamental actors, high elves, dark elves, and hobbits. And he considered himself a dark elf. Awesome. Uh, it is. <laughs> I will say this is something that this is a, um, this is a fixation that he has in common with his most famous patron since I um, like, doesn't, doesn't Peter Thiel have like his, uh, his surveillance company uh, from the two thousands Palantir. Isn't that some kind of Tolkien reference? Yeah, it's a reference to the crystal ball uh, that you can use to kind of see anywhere in Middle Earth. That makes sense, though. Yeah, I didn't put that together. I guess he and Teal both share an abiding love for Middle Earth and all the fantastic things that happen there. Uh, it's kind of a shame since I'm a fan of that franchise also, and I don't like to see its good name fucking dragged through the mud by association with these people. But what are you going to do? I like the Matrix also, and that's pretty much ruined now. Which is funny. Right, because it's like, look, I don't. Uh, I think I think Tolkien. That's like, uh, I think that's like the gentlest possible form of a sort of reactionary anti-capitalism. That it's like, oh yeah, you know, or harkening back to this 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 nicer thing that we had before it. You know, uh, England's green and pleasant land kind of thing. But like, um, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's it's anti-industrial it's reactionary anti-capitalist but it's like a very nice form of reactionary anti-capitalism uh but honestly the matrix thing is hilarious because that (laughs) that is a that is a um enduring fascination of like the worst people in the world uh you know obviously most recently uh um andrew tate right you know is is like you know he uses the word the you know the he uses the, the phrase matrix has come for him because you know yeah, yeah. people just can't appreciate the genius it takes to exploit women on a mass scale, right? Yeah, We're well, not ready for it yet. It's like the uh, it's like that Simpsons thing with the uh, the ivory dealer. You know, it's like oh, like most people have done a lot of things in my time. You know, <laughs> sure, I've, I've done a little ivory. You know, it's like like who amongst us hasn't you know hasn't done a little human trafficking? Uh, really, casual human trafficking on the weekend, right? We've all experimented with it in our time. Yeah, exactly. It's like really the Matrix is coming down on him because of his like, you know, I don't know, his his revolutionary establishment threatening message that you should like be more manly and I don't know, be, uh, you know, 
like and and do more grind set you know uh self advancement stuff which is obviously you know what the establishment most fears hearing uh, but but like okay so all these guys and like going back before that they're like like that metaphor about red pilling is well i mean curtis yarvin himself uh i think is the main propagator of that metaphor originally but it's yep. like but it's like you know, The Matrix, I mean, those aren't reactionary movies. I mean, they had fucking Cornell West in them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I should say that both of the Wachowski sisters have been on record in saying that they're deeply resentful, understandably, right, of how their work has been misconstrued that way. Uh, but it's kind of like the guy who came up with the Pepe the Frog, you know. Pepe yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's apparently also just a nice dude. But now whenever I fucking see that, I think, oh, neo-Nazi, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right. It's not right. their fault. It's unfortunate that it had to happen. It just is what it is now, right? Yeah, several years ago, I don't know if they, it still exists. I remember being a group of a uh, uh, being a part of a Facebook group called Communists for Pepe to attempt to to keep hold on to the the symbolism and not surrender it to the alt right. But I think that was a failed crusade. <laughs> yeah, we lost that one sadly. Yeah, <laughs> gotta gotta lick your wounds and move on. Um, well. Uh, yeah, I am. I am fascinated by this article. I should say um, one of the things that I really liked about it is that it's the approach that you take uh, to 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 Yarvin. I think is really different from what a lot of other people who've written about him have done, and and much uh-huh. more to uh, to my liking. Since um, like so many times when progressives leftists liberals whatever write about somebody like yarvin what they end up doing is portraying him as being this like dark edgy malevolent genius which is of course exactly the branding that he's going for right oh, I mean, yeah it's all just you know i mean that's his pr um and you know whereas i th- i think what you what you do very effectively in in the article is is you um you kind of refuse to take him seriously. You know, you're, you're like, look, I've, I've read all this shit. I can tell you what he says, but like, this guy's just kind of a clown. Well, yeah. Anybody characterizes himself as a dark elf at the age of 50. Uh, and it tends <laughs> out to be taken seriously as political commentary. Right. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some fantasy cosplaying. So no insult to anyone there, but it's a little hard to take seriously when you're also agitating for a return to authoritarianism. Right. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And actually that was consciously, something I did um, because you suggested that that was the appropriate aesthetic uh, for tackling these people. Uh, But I think you can talk about this more generally, right? Uh, I mean, I read a New York Times op-ed recently where people were confused about what Elon Musk's politics were. uh, And a lot of it was chalked up to him being an eccentric uh, kind of Tony Stark type figure. And I was like, there's nothing fucking mysterious about Elon Musk's politics, right? He's a rich white guy uh, who doesn't like unions and doesn't like woke culture believes in freedom of speech <laughs> up until the point where you kind of insult him after which he decides that all of a sudden we need to have a discussion about what the exact parameters of speech are going to be. Right. <laughs> uh, same thing with Peter Thiel. I'm like, Oh, there's something fucking mysterious about a billionaire tech startup boy uh, who is really pro freedom. As long as it means the freedom for him to do whatever it is that he wants with his money and to exploit people, however he wishes to earn more of it. But when it comes to other kinds of freedom, he's like, eh, you know, there's a conversation to be had about whether or not women and the poor should be allowed to vote. Yeah. Conversation to be had. It's like, 
what a mysterious thought, right? That he would have <laughs> yeah. these kind of thoughts about things. Totally right, which is actually something he said in his uh, American Enterprise, or no, 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 his Cato, uh, his Cato Institute essay, and uh, I don't remember exactly, but it was like Obama era uh, that uh, that he said the problem with um, he said capitalism and democracy are incompatible, which you know I is actually one of the few things Peter Thiel's ever said that I agree with. Uh, yeah. you know, the, uh, as far as that goes, but, uh, he said that you can't have, uh, promote economic freedom democratically anymore because the, because the, the voters include too many of, uh, he said two different groups that libertarians have historically had trouble with. That's how he put it, uh, which are, um, uh, welfare recipients and women. Oh yeah. And this was, uh, for the Cato Institute and it was, uh, the education of a libertarian. Uh, and like you, I actually agree uh, with Peter Thiel about this. I do think that there are inconsistencies between supporting democracy, at least if we name it that political democracy and supporting capitalism. Uh, and there was something refreshing about him just coming forward and saying that, just like there is something refreshing uh, about Curtis Yarvin being upfront about his bullshit, right? Uh, now it's still bullshit, right? Uh, but at least it's, Bullshit you can get a good firm whiff of, you know what I mean? It's like the old Carlin saying, right? Uh, Americans tend to like their bullshit right up front. They don't like it, you know, occluded in any way, shape, or form. And Yarvin is really good that way, right? Uh, although there is a part of me that resents this because I'm like, oh, wow. So libertarians have come to the conclusion that there's an incompatibility between democracy, capitalism, and certain forms of personal liberty, which means they've just about come up to the understanding of capitalism that Karl Marx reached when he wrote the first volume of Capital. So it took them a while, but they got there. Good for them. Yeah. Um, yep. But then there's a, once you kind of establish the factual premise, then there's um, you, uh, you have to have, make this separate normative decision, which is uh, okay. If it's socialism or barbarism, which one of those would we prefer? And uh, they break differently on that one. But um but oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who says, "I'm Hitler writes a lot like me if I lost 25 IQ points. Now, he says that half-jokingly, but it's yeah. also really telling that that's the kind of humor you would go for, right? Well, I don't half- normally compare myself to Hitler and expect much good to come from that. No, no. Um, I <laughs> No. I, um, you know, I, I have to say the... Uh, the only the only Hitler comparison joke that ever made me laugh was the uh, actually Bill Maher of all people, who's not a funny person, but I think this was probably back when David Feldman was writing for him. And he yeah, said, "You have yeah. to stop comparing uh, George W. Bush to Hitler. Bush and Hitler are nothing alike. For one thing, Hitler was a decorated frontline combat veteran." <laughs> yeah. All right. That's funny. Uh, all right. <laughs> I I'm mistaken. There are circumstances where it's appropriate, and that was one of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Yarvin, like, like, jo- like half joking fascism is kind of his, like, that's a place that he spends a lot of time. Like, in uh, I did so I I did a debate with Yarvin. Uh, the actually it was the day before the L.A. live show that that uh, that we did with our friends at uh, Left Reckoning and This Is Revolution. Uh, I did I did that on like the Sunday. Of that weekend and the day before on the Saturday, I did the debate with Yarvin in Chicago. And in the lead up to that debate, 
Uh, you got paid in those premium donuts, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly. going to get rich over time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, people don't know what Matt's talking about. Somebody on Twitter was accusing me of like that I was like platforming this person because like it was probably a really lucrative weekend for me. I was like, motherfucker, the only sense in which I got paid for that is that the organizers paid for my plane ticket, one night at a hotel, and there was some like coffee and donuts already like at the facility before the debate, right? That's the that's the that's the payment. But um but I will say I well another form of payment is that I had to spend a lot of time around Curtis Yarvin. Uh because <laughs> You know, what he everybody was, wants to do on their weekend, right? Just go yeah, hang exactly. out with neo-reactionaries and listen to them talk about why they should be masters of the fucking universe. Yeah, I mean, so so definitely, like, having to, like, you know, having to be, like, you know, having to sort of um, mill around and, you know, be polite and whatever with, with Curtis Yarvin before the debate is, is uh, that's a way that I paid, right? Not that they paid me, but uh, the... Uh, <laughs> But in uh, but in that lead up, uh, there were two times actually where he told this joke, which you know I I think uh, you know is is like at least somewhat revealing along the lines of what you're talking about, which is that he would say that the subject uh, that uh, that we were going to debate was uh, whether it was six million or more like five point five. Um, man, which, that's fucking grim, man. Eh? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so it's like okay. Um, on the one hand, look, I mean, if you want to do a little black humor about genocide, um, okay, uh, you know, that's that's fine. But, like, also, it's, like, sort of telling that he likes to play on the edges of that shit. Like, you know, that even though, I mean, look, Yarvin himself is, I think, Jewish or half-Jewish. He's, uh, uh-huh. um, you know, so he's he's got a sort of built-in defense there. But, like, he, he has a, you know, like... I mean, actually, the one the one thing in your article that like maybe came closest to shocked would be an exaggeration because I've I've unfortunately taken in enough Yarvin content to have a pretty good idea <laughs> what we're talking about. But yeah. startled, the one thing that startled me was the uh, was the Star Wars analogy. Oh yes, that fun one where he talks about how it is that we have our understanding of the Second World War backwards. Uh, in fact. The allies are an axis around which the entire universe turns because they're the real world rulers of the world, the empire, as he calls it. And it was the axis powers that were the stalwart rebels uh, trying to shake up the status quo. Uh, although, of course, at the end, he says, I mean nothing moral about this. It's just this fucking Star Wars analogy. Uh, and this is really representative of the kind of humor that he uses. Uh, Nick Fuentes uh, was pretty straightforward with this, where... Whenever you read Yarvin's work, like with a lot of these other art right people, there's layers of irony and kind of postmodern techniques that are deployed so that they can decide at any given point whether they want to be taken seriously or not seriously. Uh, and if they don't want to be taken seriously and you decide to take them at their word, they can mock you and say that you're kind of a humorless shrew, right, uh, who isn't in on the joke. But, you know, if they decide to change course and they actually want to be taken seriously, then we can move in that direction. And there's a word for that. Uh, it's called lacking integrity. And it pisses me the fuck off. Uh, but there's no stopping it at this point. We just have to take a lot of time to deconstruct these things one after another. Like I guess you and I have set our life towards to doing. Yeah. I mean, I should say that, um, you know, kind of on the, I mean, we talked about this uh, when you were on the, the GTA postgame 
uh, last week, but you know, for anybody who missed that discussion is listening to this, uh, you know, if you're sort of wondering, it's like, okay, wait a second. Why did, you know, why did Matt write this? Why did Commonweal uh, print it? You know, why did, uh, you know, why did Ben do a debate with this guy? Uh, like, uh, why are we, you know, why are we subjecting you to all this Curtis Yarvin talk? Um, I think at least one partial answer to that is that, uh, like, um, Blake Master, no, not Blake Master. Well, Blake Masters too, although at least he lost, but uh, JD Vance. Yeah, thank God. Who is a uh, newly, uh, you know, newly seated U.S. senator? Uh, said, uh, you know, in the fall of the campaign trail, you know, he like cited Yarvin as an influence on his thinking. Uh, Masters, who yeah, who did lose, uh, did the same thing in uh, in Arizona. Uh, Tucker Carlson, who's one of the most uh, popular, maybe the most popular cable cable TV mm-hmm. broadcaster in the country um has has had yarvin on his show and it was not to argue with him right it was it was uh like he had yarvin on his show and and it was like oh you know i people get mad at you but some of this sounds interesting why don't you tell me what you think you know like uh it was that was like the tone of uh that was the tone of the the interview uh you know peter Thiel, of course you know of course you know as a billionaire has has uh has um i i think you know, I, I don't know what their current financial relationship is, but he certainly supported Yarvin's work in the past. Uh, so, so this is a guy who I think, you know, like it or not, and I, I don't, you know, I don't love it, but uh, like it or not, I mean, I think this guy is, um, is, is in the mix. That, like, in other words, like, I think this is somebody, and I think you do a really good job of demonstrating this in the in the piece. This is somebody who in like a 2% less ridiculous world, he would just be like posting on Reddit every day when he gets home from work and and nobody would know about it. But Oh, that's absolutely true, right? Uh, And I mean, I'd like to point out that in 2017, there are even reports that Steve Bannon uh, was reading Yarvin uh, and was filtering some of his ideas into the White House. Uh, Now, this was, of course, because Peter Thiel also helped magnify uh, the influence of Yarvin's work. But... That's quite scary when you think about it for more than a few seconds, right? Uh, now, I think that the approach to these people is more or less just what you laid out at the beginning of this. I think that we need to take them seriously in terms of their cultural impact. Uh, I think there's a fine line between taking them seriously in terms of their cultural and political impact and regarding them as serious thinkers uh, or as dangerous dark geniuses, right? Uh, so one of the yeah. things I try to articulate in the piece is that, look, he definitely has an outsized influence, but that outsized influence is very disproportionate to the actual quality of his analysis, let's just call it that, because uh, a lot of what he says is just shit. Right? It's not even really that good when it comes to the reactionary tradition. right? Go read Thomas yeah. Carlyle if you want to read a real fucking conservative or something. right? No, totally. Uh, I, mean, I mean, look, even in terms of outright you know, fascists, and I don't um, – uh, I mean, I, I I said something about this in my Jacobin article about Yarvin a little while ago that I think some people, you know, misunderstood, but it's like, I don't, as far as the, like, is Curtis Yarvin a fascist or not question, I don't really give a shit. Like, I don't, I don't really care very much about whether he's like exactly a fascist or not. I think that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, um, uh, that's a sort of, you know, taxonomy question that doesn't really interest me, right? I mean, like, like, I, I, 
you know, I think he's, I think he's bad news regardless. Cause like, you know, his, um, like if anything, it seems like if he's not a fascist, it's because fascism involves mass politics, which involves the masses who are icky. Oh, that's exactly it. Right. Uh, I mean, I summarize it as three different arguments, uh, in this, uh, body of work, let's call it that. Uh, as to why we shouldn't be a fascist. And none of them are really all that good arguments in the sense that they don't raise alarm bells, right? Because they're more like apologias. Uh, so one, he says, leftists and liberals are very alert to the emergence of anything like fascism. So if you're going to decide to roll with that kind of politics, then you're going to confront a lot of obstacles. Now, that's just a strategic denunciation right. of fascism. <laughs> it says nothing about the moral quality of it whatsoever. And that's pretty fucking awful. It's more like, yeah, maybe we could be fascist, and maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. But, you know, it's probably not a good tactical decision to make, right? Uh, great. Uh, the second argument he makes that is a little bit critical is he says, while Hitler was a, quote, genius, and he uses that term, uh, and a reactionary, and there were certain good things that he achieved, nonetheless, he did happen to kill a few people here and there. People took issue with that, and maybe it might be dangerous to go down that route again, right? Um, uh, but, you know, he's kind of soft on that one. Uh, the third argument, though, is the one that you mentioned, and it's the most interesting. Uh, and he is right about this, uh, at least insofar as he self-identifies as an older kind of reactionary, uh, because he says, look, the problem with fascism is it was a mass kind of politics, and fascist movements very consciously tried to mobilize widespread support for their approach uh, to genocide, amongst other things, Right. Uh, and Yarvin doesn't want to have anything to do with that, right? Uh, what he wants to evoke the more recent article uh, is for the conservative populist based or hobbits to mobilize around the dark elves, bring the dark elves to power, uh, and then withdraw back to, you know, their trailer parks and, you know, churches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will say... And then the dark elves will rule society and they'll throw a couple of social conservative bones <laughs> to the hobbits and that's all that they get. Yeah, I mean, in his debate with me, he he used the phrase uh, "Joe Sixpack" to uh, to describe ordinary Americans, which um, is both not exactly good prose, and also I think maybe says something about how he sees these people. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, his characterization of conservative Democrats is that they don't realize that the masses suck, right? That's his term, suck. Right uh, now, again, this isn't exactly Thomas Carlyle in terms of the quality of its analysis. But it's very consistent with the general reactionary disposition to view the majority of people in the world is not really contributing all that much and better off governed than governing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I should, um, I should, like, yeah, it's what you were saying earlier. Like, so, okay, put put aside the question of of whether um, of whether Yarvin is exactly a fascist. I mean, if he's not, it's not because of his adherence to to universalist Enlightenment values, no. but. Um, but, you know, look, there are people who are, who actually, you know, there are philosophers who actually were fascists, like literally who, who I, I, I think, you know, you, sh you actually should read cause they're, they're smart and interesting. I mean, you know, Heidegger and Carl Schmidt were both members of the Nazi party, you know, but like, yeah. they're, uh, you know, but like, they're both like, you know, you'll actually learn things from, from reading them, um, you know, whereas like, I think somebody like Yarvin, I mean, he's, he's interested in, um, primarily because you know he's interesting because he's influential he's not influential because he's interested oh absolutely i will say the one talent that he had uh isn't so much 
a talent for rigorous analysis, uh, but it's for taking pretty generic reactionary ideas, uh, marrying them to some libertarian or right libertarian sounding rhetoric, uh, and then delivering the thing, uh, the whole package in a kind of hipster technophile jargon uh, that blurs the line between high and low culture. And, you know, in the early 2010s, I can see why something like that might be appealing to a certain kind of white male audience. Uh, but it's yeah, only I mean, you, you, in the article you you sort of call you call him what is like a third tier David Foster Wallace. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and I stand by that. You know, a third rate authoritarian David Foster Wallace is the term I used, right? Because you know, just like if you read Infinite Jest, which by the way I don't want to compare the two qualitatively. I said third tier, yeah. and I stick by. Third yeah, tier. Infinite Jest is actually a really well written book, but yeah, go on. It is. But, you know, Darwin comes across as this kind of bookish, geeky guy uh, who's taken a kind of more than casual interest in political ideas and is presenting them with a certain kind of irreverent, technophilic uh, attitude, right? And when you start to unpack what he actually is trying to argue for, a lot of it comes across as nonsensical. But the aesthetics of it... I imagine we're appealing to a lot of people on the political right at the time when he was at the apex, shall we say, of his popularity. Um, and, you know, he's still pretty good at that. Like, again, that article where he was talking about dark L's and high L's and getting a hobbit pill was very popular on reaction and reactionary circles, apparently. Um, I thought it was pretty ridiculous beyond just like the way it was presented, but. Yeah, but there's like a particular. I'm not the audience for this thing, right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if anything, reading these books gave me a giant headache for about a good solid five days. I mean, you listen to me complain about it, right? Uh, I I did, yeah, and, and I actually remember because I was, I think, during the final stages when you were working on it, I was in the airport because I was coming. I think I was coming <laughs> back uh, from. Uh, I, I I did like a speaking gig at Western Connecticut uh, State University like I don't know, a week before last or something. I think I was maybe coming back. You know, I was at the airport and you called me and you were like, Hey, you know, based on your debate, would it be accurate to say that Yarvin thinks blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's like a slight overstatement. I think what he was saying was blah, blah, blah. We went back and forth about it a little bit. And I just remember thinking there's a, there is something like that's objectively ridiculous about how careful <laughs> yeah. we're being in this conversation to accurately represent the views of somebody who's like gleefully indifferent about the nuances of anything that anybody who disagrees with him thinks. Oh yeah. It was about whether or not it'd be fair to say that the United States was soft on communism or whether or not he thinks that the United States was just pro communist. Right. Uh, and I decided to go with soft on communism because that more accurately, in my opinion, reflects his worldview. Uh, and if anybody here is thinking, sitting there thinking, like, what the fuck are you two talking about, the United States being soft on communism? Yeah, like, that was my response as well. Uh, but he really does try to make that argument, right? Uh, one of, uh, at a couple points in his writing and also in his debate with you, he talks about Woodrow Wilson, for example, as somebody who had kind of pro-communist leanings, wanted to make sure that the Bolshevik Revolution succeeded, or at least the very least it wasn't externally crushed. Uh, that would surprise most people, considering Wilson sent in U.S. soldiers to try to crush the Bolshevik revolution uh, after the world had already fought a gigantic war. And you would have thought there would have been enough violence to save everyone for a while. And he also crushed the Socialist Party in the United States, uh, including jailing Eugene Debs, uh, silencing uh, all the anti-war demonstrators that marched under the Socialist banner, right? 
but you know, yeah, from Yavin's perspective, that's all demonstrative of a historical, or sorry, a leftist bias uh, that dom that pervades the discipline of history right now, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my um, uh, something I will never get tired of pointing out is that that dumbass cliche about how you can't uh, shout fire in a crowded theater. Uh, that the context of that originally being said uh, was the uh, Supreme Court decision upholding uh, the um, the uh, arrest and conviction of a group of uh, of Jewish socialists who had been um, arrested uh, for uh, for for distributing Yiddish language leaflets uh, denouncing America's participation in World War uh, World War One. Uh, as part of as part of Wilson's larger crackdown on that, like he also essentially destroyed the idea of WW, which was a big deal earlier, et cetera. But yeah, Yarvin is like pretty upfront. Certainly wasn't his debate with me about not making these distinctions. That um, I mean, he's got his weird torture, and it's like, well, he Wilson did send troops to intervene on the side of the white armies in Russia, but he didn't do it hard enough or something. So that means that like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he basically supported them. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, one would think that like, I don't know how many millions of uh, Vietnamese and Cambodian and Laotian peasants you have to kill before you've, you've proven your anti-communist bona fides. But, um, but he is like Yarvin's whole thing about this is that, uh, that this is all just like shades of like progressivism that like, you know, whether you're like a Woodrow Wilson kind of progressive or an LBJ kind of progressive or like a communist revolutionary, it's all kind of the same thing, which I think makes, you know, like, I mean, he was, he was very like, I mean, he, he's very militant about saying that like, you know, there's no real distinction between like Noam Chomsky and the New York times. It's all the same shit. Right. And it's 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 a bizarre thing to insist on, uh, but it makes a little bit more sense if you think that, like, he he basically just objects to, um, you know, democracy, to uh, to the sort of uh, to some sort of basic ideals of historical progress, in you know, that have sure, I mean, informed both Western liberal capitalism and, uh, and Eastern European communism, because they also informed fucking everything else in the last few hundred years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want to look hard enough, you can find affiliations between liberalism and socialism. And as a liberal socialist, I'd like to look at those things pretty hard, right? Uh, but to suggest that the two can be conflated together historically, uh, certainly in terms of the Cold War, is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and contrary to the facts that everybody should be familiar with by this point, right? Uh, I mean, say whatever it is that you want about the United States over the course of the 20th century, being soft on communism and the Soviets in particular, isn't one thing you would normally associate with them, right? Uh, now, I think part of the reason for this uh, is Yarbrough is occasionally candid in presenting his real views about things beneath all the layers of postmodern irony and symbolism. Uh, and one of the things that he's been in take, like honest about is that he's a reactionary's reactionary, right? Uh -huh. uh, his, you know, he thinks that you know Thomas Carlyle is already a symptom of decadence because he had to write what he did. You know, he really wants to go back to people like Robert Filmer, you know, the guy that Locke argued against, uh, and that's really something, right? I mean, the average <laughs> reactionary, even on the internet today, 
is somebody who still hasn't psychologically come to terms with the French Revolution, right? Uh, quotes Joseph de Maistre, quotes Edmund Burke, you know, thinks it'd all be wonderful if we went back to the Bourbon monarchy, that kind of thing. Uh, Curtis Yarvin thinks that the American Revolution is already going too far. In fact, he thinks the English Civil War was already a step way, way, way too far in the, the wrong which is, direction. Right? Which is fantastic because, uh, you know, like saying that not only the French Revolution, but uh, but also the American Revolution is bad, uh, literally puts him to the right of Edmund Burke, uh, you know, who who was okay with America, you know, like he just got horrified by France. Uh, so like, that's a, that's a, that's an accomplishment, right? You know, if you, if you think, you know, if you think about it, uh, I should also say, um, that, uh, your, uh, your reference to, to liberal socialism just now reminds me that, um, we don't know when it's going to be yet, but sometime in the, oh, yeah. near, sometime in the near future, I'm going to be hosting a, uh, friendly debate between Matt and our friend Lillian Sikertia about uh how uh how how liberals how socialists should think about uh liberalism so you know can't mark your calendars just yet we're trying to figure out dates but is something to look forward to yeah i'm looking forward to it too i'm a fan of lillian's uh you know i think that the stuff she writes for jacobin is usually great um disagree with a few things here and there but it should be a lot of fun yeah absolutely um yeah i actually also i i pre-recorded a conversation with her about her latest for Jacobin, which we might be playing on GTAA the, uh, uh, so a week from tomorrow, I'm not sure yet. Cause I'm, I'm going to be traveling back for the live show. So it's kind of a question about whether, um, you know, we could set that up, uh, in my absence. Uh, but, uh, but that might be the date, the episode after next, uh, t- next episode tomorrow is going to be, uh, the uh is going to be uh Jason Miles, RM Brown, and Sam Cedar. So uh that's uh that's gonna be a lot of fun. But okay, uh, um, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, well yeah, I'll look forward to that. Anyway, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because he's gonna yeah, he's gonna be on the sh- on the show on YouTube tomorrow and he's gonna be at the uh the live show uh a week from today. So um so that'll all be uh, that'll be, all be a lot of fun. Uh, we uh, actually just before we started the call in, I was at a uh, production meeting for the live show, which which we had to put on hold. Uh, well, I did this, and we'll return to after where we were talking about you know doing some. Uh, there's a song uh, that somebody put out where they they remixed uh, Stephen Crowder saying, uh, uh, you know, what a Sam Cedar, what a fucking nightmare. Uh, that would be good for, you know, kind of uh, pro wrestling style walk on music. Uh, but um, in any case, I also want to uh, highlight in the chat. Murphy has a good line about how uh, he gets the sense that Yarvin is arguing on stage the same way the zombies in Romero's Dawn of the Dead had wound up at the ball driven by old habits vaguely remembered. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. Fuck. I wish I had thought of that line, you know. You should be doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but no, it's yeah, I, I think it's uh I think it's a very good uh I think it's a very good article. Uh if people uh, uh if people who are listening to this haven't checked it out, I should say this is not Matt's uh first article for Commonweal. He also wrote something for them about uh Dugan, Alexander Dugan. Uh so uh so so we are um we are going through um I I don't know. I mean I, I kind of feel like these are the first two installments 
in a uh, in a trilogy of pieces about uh, reactionary dipshit uh, fourth tier intellectuals, but I don't know who the third would be. I don't know yet. I've been thinking about that, and because I do agree that three just has a nice quality to it, doesn't it? Uh, don't worry, somebody will catch my eye. It's like any other kind of romance, right? Except this is like a hate. A yeah, yeah. Romance, you, you, have right? to be, you, know? you know, if you're looking for it, it's not going to happen. You just have to be open to it. You know, when it arises. That's it. You know, I'll read something and I'll be like, man, that's really fucking dumb, isn't it? Boy, is that really stupid. And then I'll think about how dumb it is and how much I hate it for a few days. And then I'll know that they're the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, we all look forward to you finding hate again. Um, <laughs> yeah, sir. Go should, on. Yeah. Should uh, check out Matt's article at Commonweal. There is a link in uh, the description on uh, on this episode. Uh, should also check him out in a bunch of other places. Um, he's uh, not infrequently in Jacobin, uh, Aria. What am I missing? Uh, well, I have a new article coming out in Aria soon reviewing uh, Luke Savage's really, really good book on liberalism, actually. Uh, you know, I do read things that I enjoy also. Uh, <laughs> and Luke's book was excellent. Uh, the Dead Center. kind of resonated with me since, you know, around the same age. And he talks a lot about disappointment with the Obama fucking administration. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, preach, brother. Um, then I have a review coming out for that outlet on Charlie Kirk, and I've got a few things coming out for Jacobin and elsewhere, so keep on looking nice. forward to that. Nice. Uh, definitely looking forward to um, definitely looking forward to that. Also really looking forward to the Charlie Kirk one, uh, people. Uh, so so what, uh, what Matt is reviewing is Charlie Kirk's Don't Go to College book. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if Charlie Kirk himself is any indication, you should fucking absolutely go to college, right? Because yeah. I read that book, and it's the worst thing I've read in some time. Uh, and that includes all of Yarvin's books, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least Yarvin never made a, as stupid a statement as saying Karl Marx was the literal president of the Young Hegelians. So, I am just fascinated by the idea that like all the Young Hegelians in Germany were were holding an election for president. Um, and right. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's just an amazing thought. I actually kind of want somebody to, uh, to do that movie now, but, uh, in any case, uh, you should check out Matt in all of those places, uh, consistently, uh, consistently does great work. Uh, and, um, and uh, I am sure he's going to be back uh, very soon uh, to talk about more of it. Meanwhile, as I already mentioned on the big show on YouTube, uh, tomorrow night we're going to have um, Jason Miles, RM Brown, and Sam Cedar, uh, which should be a lot of fun uh, tomorrow on the call in at the same time, uh, 4 p.m. West Coast, 7 p.m. East Coast. Uh, I am going to have uh, Ryan Zitgraff. On, uh, we're going to be talking about his article about Prince Harry, uh, entitled, uh, the, Pri- the Prince of Cringe, uh, which, uh, made me laugh, uh, and as did, you know, not just the title, but much what was in the article itself. Um, and, uh, and on Tuesday, gonna have, uh, Danny Bessner on to talk about his, uh, New York Times piece about the, end of history as an academic profession. And then uh, there's going to be no call in for the rest of the week because I am going to be traveling to New York for the live show on the 22nd at the cutting room. We'll also make sure there's a link to that in the description. Thank you again, 